go ahead and cue up a drum roll because the Maybird Cycling Podcast has a new sponsor, and it is... Me. Bet you didn't see that coming. Uh, buckle up. It's time for some shameless self-promotion. Uh, I'm probably saved in your phone right now as Joe Draper, parentheses, bike guy. Uh, you can go ahead and add a second set of parentheses and put insurance guy. I just started with American Family. We do home, auto, life, commercial, all the good stuff there. So I know a lot of you are used to coming to me uh, with bike questions when you want to know what tires you should be running or uh, what kind of chain you need. Uh, moving forward, if you have any questions about uh, your car insurance or home insurance or if you want to look at life insurance, anything like that, I'm your guy for that too. So you can reach me at 801-671-5412. Love to hear from you folks. Uh, now back to the podcast. Well, Dan, it's still winter, um, but it's warm enough that as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to go out and ride my bike a little bit with Andrew. Yeah, so. it, uh, it definitely feels like spring. I'm kind of craving the Cadbury mini eggs. and Right, even though we're still in the last week of January. And this is like the taunting Utah, sort of like we'll get a week of spring, and then we'll go back into deep, hard freeze, and then a week of spring, and then a deep, hard freeze. That's probably how it works everywhere, but... You ever notice that no matter where people come from, they're like, you should see the weather back in my hometown. One second it's 80, the next it's 40, you know, like, yeah. I know like, everyone thinks they're the only ones that have weather that changes. Like. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's, but like, I think taking advantage of these little opportunities to get a, a, some riding in here and there um, keeps me some, I was going to say keeps me sane. Not quite that. It helps to keep me less insane. Um <laughs> So yeah, looking forward to that, but but I don't know those uh, those hike that hiking group we did yesterday. Oh my gosh, that's that was so, so much, much fun. fun. That was awesome. Like, I think one of the best cross training things you can do during the winter that just doesn't cost anything is hiking up a really really steep hill. Yep. Like winter hiking, man. It is and it's better than summer hiking. Like. Yes. Yeah, you can go up and down like a lot faster, and it's just like. You know, the, the snow just kind of offers a little bit of padding and it kind of helps you slide down. It's, it's a lot harder and harsher when it's on actual dirt. So I actually think I agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was really, really good yesterday. You got a couple hikes in. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned how to ski yesterday. Whoa. So that's my fun plug. I looked really silly. You though. did look silly. Yeah. Tessa said I looked ridiculous. But um, but yeah, uh, as far as business goes, I mean, we're going to plug running group, which is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, same time, same, same everything. And then another hike this coming weekend, I assume. Yeah. we got a big hike coming up this weekend. Um, you should all know these by now. Like, <laughs> you know, we'll keep, we'll keep pushing them though. Cause the bigger these groups are, especially for like the hiking group, like I think that, and it's fun when you have like kind of different speeds and, you know, like there'll always be a group of like crackhead dudes at the front who want to run up the hill and then run back down. And then you've got other people who are more chill. It's like, no matter who you are, what you're looking to do come and the more people who come the more options there will be so like um yeah yeah love the hikes super fun um one thing i i did this is something i wanted to mention last podcast but i haven't mentioned in it and i mentioned this at a, the opening meeting that uh derek taylor capital rocky with derek taylor capital um he's 
they are they're donating some money to help some kids out with bikes. That yes, and so if you're aware of someone on one of your Nike teams, and these these kids probably don't ride for Maybird, my my guess. So if you're yeah. like a Nike coach or affiliated with a Nike team, and you're aware of some kids that love the sport that want to do it more, that just can't afford decent equipment, let us know. Um, you know, last year we helped a couple of kids out and and they weren't in desperate need or anything, but it was just kind of fun to just help someone get a cool new bike. And, um, but you know, I, I was even thinking, you know, if you know a rider that's, that's got a lot of talent, that's really, really good, really getting into it and, and needs an awesome bike, you know, let us know and we'll kind of consider the different options and see if we can find some couple of homes for these bikes. So, Yeah. Shout out to those guys, though. That's so cool. It's like, super cool. Super, super cool. Um, other than that, though, like, I mean, we're kind of in a, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm still working on registration. I've got all the teams sorted out. I've got all the coaches. So I'm kind of letting the coaches know. I've reached out to my team. Um, well, like, but you got insider I, information. I, I, I was so. able to do the insider. So my team knows their, but, their um, roster. But. I, I should be adding the, your teams to your team snap this week sometime. I've, I've started, I've worked, I've done some of the groups, but most of them I haven't. So, um, but yeah, so keeping out for that, that's exciting. Um, yeah. And other than that, I'm, I'm just really excited to get into this. Cause this is like, this is my favorite episode of the year. Um, I love talking about, so we're like, like, I'm sure you will have seen from the title of this episode really quick before I segue, is there any other business or am I over, am I too eager here? Uh, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. Right. Um, I've, in fact, with with this subject, I've had to remind Joe several times to be brief. Yeah. Because this could be like a four hour podcast if Joe. Yeah. No one's no one's ever accused me of um, being, being concise. concise. So um, I'll try to keep this brief and like, but it, but like it is. This is important though. Like I will. Like this is important. Like we we talk pretty much every week about the. F- not even just like the fundamentals, even getting into the weeds on like physiology and like eating better and, and riding smarter and tactics and all these other little, little things that you can do to, to be a better bike rider. But like all of those things can be undone by a couple of bad choices in a bike shop. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that just share really incorrect information about this. Yes. And a lot of times it might be your dad, you know, you know what? And, and here's the thing. And like, like, <laughs> so like, this is not, there's like, there's like not a lot of science here. Like we always talk about like sports science being like, not like real, like real, real science doesn't exist in, 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 you've even told me before, like in sports and well, stuff. Well, it's not to the same level as other As like science. pharmaceutical science yeah. or like other stuff, right? Where like, and, and I think in, in equipment science, it's kind of the same, right? That like, I'm, I'm going to try to appeal to you here based on like, I've, I've done this for 10 years. I worked in the bike industry for five, like bikes are my life. Um, I've, I've done this for a really long time. Um, like I, I think there will probably be someone listening to this today who hears stuff that they don't like and that doesn't speak to their experience. And I would encourage you to trust us. And I will also say we're kind of talking to a specific crowd here. Um, yeah. Cause we do a very specific thing within mountain biking. Mountain biking isn't mountain bike. Isn't mountain like basketball is basketball is basketball. Cycling isn't cycling isn't cycling though. Like there's, there's some, and so like we just right off the bat, like let's just remind everybody who we're talking to here. 
Yeah, I, I mean, this club is primarily focuses on well, well, mainly youth and young adult endurance mountain biking. Yeah, which which would include like cross country type right. riding, like the the Nike type races and the which I-type is the core tri- of what we do. Which is the core of what we do, and then also like. I really like to encourage people to do endurance mountain bike racing. Endurance mountain bike racing. And then we've got some, we've got cyclocross, we've got road and everything. We don't really touch gravity oriented mountain biking though. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. The first is we don't have the expertise. Um, if you really want to pursue like competitive gravity oriented mountain biking, Aspire in Harriman are your folks. Talk to the Fongers. Like they're excellent at that. Like we really focus on a kind of specific subset of primarily off-road flat bar bike racing is most of what we do you know and and for the type of racing we do it's like essential that you're able to go up the hill fast and down the hill fast like yes they're both important yes so with that in mind the things that i will say like if you are a crest shuttler like this this is not you're going to disagree with a lot of my takes um and i also want to say like like a lot of you are going to walk into a bike shop this year to go and buy a bike I know more than the guy you're going to talk to there. And that sounds unbelievably cocky, but like, I really feel confident that based on my experience and the time I've put in to learn this stuff, I know it, I know at least as much as the average kid in a bike shop. And I think probably more, there are people in the bike industry who know more than me, but I think most people would agree with me. Um, like this is, this is something where like, I, I, I promise this is good sound advice you're getting for us for the specific, you know, it, intended use that we're talking about. And, and I think that probably, most of the people listening like couldn't take a thousand dollar bill and light it on fire. And you know, I, yes, you we're know. also really not talking to people who like, cause, cause the, the right, the right answer for what should I buy is everything. You should have 10 different bikes and 11 different helmets and 25 different kits for every specific little thing you're ever going to do. But the reality is that like most of you don't have the ability, especially if you've got three kids who all want to do this for each of those three kids to have five bikes for every little thing. But I've, I've just seen so many parents, like, well-intentioned, go to a bike shop, spend a lot, a lot of, of money, money on the wrong tool for the job. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a kid that we used to ride with a lot. He's a really good kid. Like, loved riding his bike. Yeah. He mowed lawns, and he saved up to buy a bike for his Nike season. And he went to a bike shop, and I think he bought, like, a Jekyll. Oh, and I remember he showed up on a group ride with his brand new bike, was super excited yeah, and couldn't keep up with anybody. Yes. Like it. And he was, he was pretty upset. He, yeah. He later sold the bike, got a, I think he got a hardtail, yeah. like a complete opposite bike. Yeah. And finished his Nike career on that. Yeah. So, so actually back up. I lied. It was a, he got a scalpel, I think. Okay. Yeah. So. so. Those don't, if you don't, if you're not like a bike nerd, those basically he bought a really big motorcycle of a mountain bike and then realized that for what we're trying to do, that's not appropriate. So like to dive in, I don't think anybody listening to this is a total beginner. I don't think you listen to this podcast or you're on this team. If like, this is your first time riding a bike. So you should have like some familiarity. So like, we're going to kind of try and go like high end, low level. I'll try to make sure that like, if you, if this is, if you really haven't dug into bike tech before. Like, we'll try to make this as digestible as possible. And if it's not, like, let us know. We will answer. I am, I used to work in the bike industry. And now, as you know from that cringy ad read at the front of this episode, I work in the insurance industry. So I miss talking about bikes. So and text then, me. I'd love to talk. 
this the second half of this we're going to talk about bike fit yeah yes yeah which is um there's a lot of people that have amazing bikes that have yep. done nothing with the fit. The fit's super jacked up, and then their and body ends up super I jacked up. I think that's something we can help with. It's well, And we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, so uh, where to begin? Should we dive in? Let's okay. dive in. So we kind of decided we'll do this more like a question answer kind of thing. So yeah. So the fir- my, my first question, Joe, is like, what's the difference between a cross-country bike and a trail bike and an enduro bike? And if they all weighed the same, mm. could they be just as fast? Could they? Yes. Excellent. So that's, so this is, this is the, this is the key. So like they're different tools for different people doing different things. So, so mountain biking isn't mountain biking. Like we said just a second ago, the, the kind of mountain biking that we do is, is Nika style cross country endurance bike racing. And I, I would argue that it is the broadest kind of like open tent style of bike riding. It is the style of bike riding that most people, whether they admit it or not, actually do, um, where you are riding to the top of whatever hill you're on and then riding back down whatever hill. So like a lot of people's experience with mountain biking is getting on a, a chairlift and going to the top of a resort and riding down. Like that's the kind of biking that people do when they go on vacation. And, and it really represents a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of miles ridden by mountain bikers. It's like most people don't do that. Um, most people's experience with mountain biking is they get off work and they throw their mountain bike in the back of their Tacoma, and they go to a trail, and they ride it, and they ride, they pedal uphill, and they ride back down. Um, we would call that like, we would call those trail riders in the bike industry. There's kind of like cross-country trail, enduro, or the three sort of bubbles that like most people fall into. And, it, and it's kind of tricky because like people use those terms, and people say they ride enduro bikes, but like enduro racing is not popular by the numbers. Like, 99.95% of mountain bikers don't do enduro racing. And I would say 95% of mountain bikers don't have the skills to really properly use an enduro bike or really utilize an enduro bike. Um, most people really do something that falls in this confusing world of like cross country or trail and no one really knows what they do. And it seems like you could do the same bike ride, but if you do it wearing Lycra, you might call it cross country. And then if you do it wearing plaid, a plaid, then you'd call it trail riding. But like, I think the essential thing to focus on is like, you're riding up the hill too. And if we're doing Nika, then you're, you know, how fast you ride up the hill in forms really for the most part is the biggest uh, factor in where you finish in a race, right? So we spent, we take this whole podcast and we sort of speak to like how to get faster and faster and faster. And that really means like how to get up a hill fast, how to cover ground fast, truthfully, right? And um, in the kind of spectrum of mountain bikes, there's, there's, really sort of like a, a specific set of factors that'll that'll tell you like like we, we're going to talk about travel we're going to talk about suspension um uh tra- suspension travel and then geometry are kind of the two big things that inform what kind of a bike a bike is so if you go to like cannondale's website right now you're going to say you're going to have rubber bikes and you're going to mountain and it's going to say like cross country trail enduro downhill you know like you have all these different things and and we're really encouraging people to play around in the cross country section because i think that is where the majority of people should be. And so like my question for you, Dan, is if, if like you know how to drive a car, right? You drive a car every day. If I gave you the keys to a Porsche 911 GT3, could you get the most out of it? No, I couldn't. Could you drive it? Probably. Could you get it to move? Yeah. 
if you were to drive it around a track, would you be confident enough in your ability to like corner and handle it to like floor it and to really drive it as fast as it's capable of going? You know, I'd probably end up on YouTube. You'd you know, probably end up on YouTube. No, actually, I think what likely is you'd probably drive very slowly in a circle around a racetrack, right? If I were to put you on a Santa Cruz mega tower, could you ride it? Mm-hmm. Could you get the most out of it? No. No. Like a lot of people ride bikes that they just can't use that they do. And I think I mentioned this in last episode, but they think they can. That's the thing that they think they can. So I I would encourage all of you to step back and say how, when we have this question in the application, how technical a thing can you actually ride? Oh, and it's comical because I think the girls give me really good answers that actually are meaningful. All the guys, I think they they heard the question, what's the most technical Technical trail trail you've ever heard 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 of? Yeah. You know, because I, we get some hilarious answers to that question. Um, and, and I think the, the my favorite is, though is Andrew, Andrew Preston. He said his most technical trail that he, he, he's, it was happy Gilmore. It's happy Gilmore. That's pretty that. funny. That's, that's good. That's really, really funny. But you know what? While you're listening to this, if you can, like if you're listening at work or something like open a tab and go to like specialize or Canada, like pick a bike company and then hover over the bikes tab and you're going to see different categories. Right. Um, I really kind of want to talk about what like a cross country bike is and why I think it's not just the right bike for your racer. It's also probably the right bike for you parents. Like, um, cause the thing is cross country bikes now are like a lot more capable than they used to be. Yeah. Be, and that's mostly because like the world cup scene has gotten more and more technical. So mm-hmm. these cross country bikes that are designed to be really, really fast on climbs are also right. pretty capable downhill. Right. And, and so really like there might've been a time where a cross country bike wasn't good enough for, mm-hmm. you know, for like insurgent yeah. or something like that. But now they really are Yeah. like now that they've got like 120 mils of travel and so forth, that's more than you ever need for a Nike course. And I'm going to push back, not just the travel, the travel, I don't want to say travel is irrelevant, but it is, is the second most important factor in determining it's the geometry that really kind of, and this is going to get hairy. So and I, I don't want to get too into the weeds. Yeah. On Cause this, this is somewhat rapid fire. This is so. somewhat rapid fire. But so like your original question was a cross country bike, a trail bike and an enduro bike, right? Those are going to be classified by the amount of trail of travel that they have, right? The amount that their suspension can move. Um, and just so that you know, like, like on the fork, it's really easy to tell. Like you look at your suspension fork, right? And there'll be the shiny part. If it's a Fox brand, it might be like gold, right? Or it might be black or something. The amount that that can compress will be, if it's a cross country bike between hundred and 120 millimeters, right? On the rear, if you look at your shock, right? The, the amount of the shiny stuff, we call it the, the stanchion. That is not the amount of suspension travel you have. If you look at your rear axle and you imagine how much that can move up and down in space, that is the amount of suspension travel that you have. So a lot of people think, oh, my bike has way more front suspension travel than rear because look, the, like if you look at the shock, it's only like maybe two or three inches of movement and then the fork's like twice that, mm-hmm. right? But it's really, truthfully, it's about that your axle can move, right? And so cross-country bikes are going to be between 100 and 120. Trail bikes, I would say, are going to be between 100 and, uh, 130, I'll say 130, and maybe 150. And then anything above that is like, enduro or free ride yeah. or something like that don't I mean, bother get, unless you have more than one bike no and so like let's let's address let's get rid of those first because i think these are easy um i know personally maybe five people who are good enough cyclists to actually like drive that yeah. porsche 911 gt3 correctly right um i can't you can't if you're listening to this you probably can't um but like a trail bike like a trail bike is kind of an interesting one because i do think that i can ride a bike well enough that i could get something out of a trail bike 
So if I won the lottery tomorrow, I think I'd own one. I think it would be really fun if, like, going up and riding at Brighton or something. Or maybe even, like, maybe even on Zen. You know, like a really, really rough trail to have a bike with a little more squish that's a little, like, longer and slacker where the front wheel is farther out in front of you for stability's sake. Is it more forgiving? I would say so, yeah. Like, you can make a bigger mistake and be okay. You know, you can pick a slightly worse line and still get down, right? But <laughs> even if that trail bike weighs the same, it's less efficient. And that's that's the key. And there's a lot of things that make it less efficient. But the biggest one is just, like, the suspension is designed to feel really good and buttery going downhill. And unfortunately, like, this, the, the demands for suspension going downhill and uphill work against each other. You know, if you're going downhill, you want the suspension to be really, really responsive. You want any input from the trail to result in movement in your suspension, right? So when you hit a rock, you don't feel it. That's the whole idea of a full suspension bike, right? But unfortunately, going uphill, when your goal is to go fast, it's the opposite. You want input from your body because your body not, like when you're pedaling, there's a lot of movement going on, right? Like when you pedal, your body kind of bobs up and down, right? When your body bobs up and down, that is energy that could be going to your pedals that ends up, you know, like it takes energy to move that suspension, right? So instead of like, like if you were on a road bike and you pedaled up a hill, it's completely stiff. Every single ounce of energy that you're Propels using you forward. turns into power to move you forward, right? But if you're on like a big, you know, squishy full suspension bike, even if both the bikes weigh 25 pounds, the cross-country bike, you know, even like, because you can like lock the suspension on a lot of cross-country bikes, even unlocked, that cross-country bike is going to be designed to be more efficient. It's going to pedal better. And in fact, in some circumstances, it's more efficient unlocked than it is locked because yeah. of rolling resistance. Right. Like if you're riding on, on something really, really rough, it's more efficient unlocked. But I, I do want to say like, even like... Even but if what you if you could, locked out a trail bike? That's And that's kind of the point I was getting. Even if you locked out that trail bike... Um, you know, it's, it's going to be like, like, first off, again, that's not always the answer because you, you, being locked isn't always the best, right? But even if it is locked, that bike is going to have like geometry that kind of makes it more difficult to like get around the tight corners that we get in cross country races. You know, it's, it's going to be, and the truth is it's going to be overkill. <laughs> like, again, I've been riding bikes for 10 years. And I think in the last two years, I've really got to the point where I'm like, okay, there are some trails that I can ride that my Epic, my cross country bike isn't quite ideal for, but barely. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you walk into the bike shop, and it's so hard these days because, like, everyone's like, oh, this trail bike climbs just as well as a cross-country bike. Or, like, hey, this cross-country bike is as capable as this trail bike. Those are never true. You know, like, it's like it's like the transition sunglasses. You know, it's like you're kind of always getting the worst of both worlds. I don't know. Maybe that's, like, I'm picking on transition. And, and that would them, only but. be true for someone that's not actually competitive in racing. Right. Or that good of a trail rider anyway. Right. You know. Like, right, right. And so, and this is, and I'm, I'm trying not, I'm trying to, like, uh, I don't want to get too into the weeds on any of this yet. But the whole point is, like, we want to focus on a bike that's really, really efficient and that's going to be good for what you do. And, again... What you do is cross-country style riding. Even the parents listening to this, you can do cross-country style riding in flannel if you want. That's fine. I, I think I think almost all mountain bikers are cross-country riders, and not all of them ride cross-country bikes. So, so basically, I, I would say to kind of sum up what you said, if you guys are if you guys are in the market of a bike, get a cross-country bike. Yes. And cross-country bikes today are a lot more capable than they oh, were yeah. like ten years ago. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, so get a cross country bike really quick. Uh, talk about hard, hard tails really, yes, really yes. quick. So yeah, so very, very quick. Hardtail is a bike that has front suspension, but no rear suspension. They're great. 
I would say if you want to win varsity next year, uh, I don't know that hardtail's the answer unless you only have $1,500 to spend. Um, I think modern full suspensions overall are faster than hardtails, and that's why you don't see hardtails as much as you used to like 10 years ago when we got into this. Um, but hardtails are fantastic. If it's your first bike, I'd say I still think maybe start with a hardtail. Um, if you've got 8000 bucks to spend, you know, maybe my mind changes a little bit, but like your, your kid who's nine and he wants to start riding, get them onto a hardtail. It's going to be vastly lighter and way, way easier to keep and maintain. Um, uh, like it's going to be super efficient. It's like the only downside of the hardtail is on like really, really rough stuff. Obviously, it's nice to have rear suspension, right? And like on a lot of these Nike courses that are like flat and pedally and, and over a rough surface, like a full suspension is really nice. But those are kind of marginal. Like for most of what you're doing, hardtails are fan, fan, fantastic. Yeah, for Nike racing, hardtails are awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, in fact, if you only have like 2,000 bucks to spend on a bike. Yeah. And... I would say that in most cases, a $2,000 hardtail is going to be faster than a $3,000 full suspension bike. Yes. Especially if we're talking new, like, you know, and like, yeah. So yeah, I I definitely agree. And if you're, but, but if you do want a full suspension, um, the most important number to know is you want a bike that has up to 120 mils of suspension. I can name all of the quote unquote cross country bikes that have 130. So your Yeti SB 115s, your Yeti SB 120s, your Rocky Mountain Elements. Those aren't cross-country bikes. They call them that. They might be under the cross-country tab on the bike's website. You want something that has between 0 and 120 mils of travel. That is the only concise way I can define a cross-country bike these days. Okay. How important is weight? Uh, It's critical. You know, it's critical. And, like, this is, like, a good example is, like, you can buy a fairly expensive bike with 120 mils of travel that weighs 28 pounds, and that sucks. Like, I don't know... I don't know who that's for. And those those cases are almost invariably those $3,000 full suspensions where you really should just be buying a hardtail. Uh, hard and I would say like full suspensions come into play when you can spend four or five or six or more grand. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, if you are if you want to roll the dice on the used market, I've seen people get really good full suspensions for less than that. But that's introducing an element of risk that if you're a beginner, I would not advise you to take. Buying a used bike is risky. So, so what would you say part, yeah. is a target weight that people should be kind of shopping for? 25 for, pounds. For full suspension? For full suspension, yeah. How much for a hardtail? Again, it depends on how much you're going to spend. I think if we're talking about that guy who's spending 3,000 bucks, I, I think you can get your hardtail to 22, 23 pounds. Okay. Um, hardtails go under 20 all the time. So like you can get them really light. Like cross-country bikes. So um, let me... I was just going to say, I knew a dad that was riding with a Nike team and he had a trail bike Yeah. and he could not keep up with the Nike team he was riding with. Yeah. So he went out and he bought a really light hardtail. Oh yeah. And he could keep up with the kids just fine after that. I'll say it again. I own a hardtail. They're fantastically fun to ride. There are some times when it is really rough and you did wish you had a full suspension. Most of the time though, for most of what we do, hardtails are amazing. And, And in my observation... I think that kids that start out on hardtails always end up being better bike handlers later mm-hmm. down the road. So hundred percent. And again, like, and I don't, not to belabor the point, but like if you walk into contender today and you buy the entry level Scott spark, which is a, a world cup winning frame, right? It weighs like 31 pounds. So, um, 30 pounds is way, way, way too much, especially for your kid who weighs 110. 
you know, like the, I see poor little middle schoolers all the time that are riding a bike that constitutes a third of their body weight. Yeah. And like, kids that weigh like 105 pounds don't need full suspension. No, they don't. They really the, don't. The tires can take it, care exactly of it. Exactly. Like it's, it's not, it's not going to be helpful. So, um, yeah. All right. So really quick, like what about like riding a really good bike that's 10 years old? And I said really quick, so. really quick. You know what? Like I, I don't love that idea for a couple reasons. The first is that things wear out over time. Um, parts become harder to find over time and you will probably find yourself in a situation where like the drivetrains from 10 years ago, like 11, this is going to be mostly like one by 11 systems. Like good luck finding an old 11 speed X01 derailleur for a reasonable price because people know that they're rare and they're going to gouge your eyes out for every single purchase you have to make. And you're going to end up dumping a lot of money into an old bike to keep it running. And bikes have gotten so much better in the last 10 years. If you can afford it, you should. Yeah. I mean, I would say if you had a 10 year old road bike, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fine. But with mountain bikes, with, with, you know, oh my gosh, the, the all the suspensions, the suspension is so much better. The than suspension, the geometry the changes. The, the, the geometry is the big one. The geometry yeah. is like a 10 year old cross country bike is a sketchy. 29, 29 inch wheels. And yeah, I think your bike should have at a minimum. I think, and Dan and I disagree on this a little bit. I think if your rider's five foot, a 27 five is okay for anybody over like five foot two 29er has to have disc brakes. I think hydraulic disc brakes ideally. And, uh, I, 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 the one by drivetrains are just so much simpler and easier and everything. So like if it's an old bike and your family's going to starve, if you buy a new one, that's fine. We'll still take you as long as the bike's safe. If you can, you absolutely should upgrade. Now, five years old, we're fine. Yeah. You know, like I, I, you know, you don't need a new bike every season. But like your kid's going to ride the crap out of a bike in three seasons and you're probably going to need to replace it anyway. So if it's dad's old bike that was really sweet back in the early years of the second Bush administration, like it's time for an upgrade. Like that bike is is now obsolete. Your kid's going to have a hard time keeping up. And I would say for some of the trails we're riding now, there might be safety issues. Uh, yeah, I do think. So that's so. my take on that. Okay. And then real quick, uh, like buying used versus new. Yeah. Um, I, my next bike purchase will probably be used, but I'm, I'm a bike expert. Like I've spent, I, I can, I can look at a bike and see if it's a good deal or not. I love stuff like the pros closet. I will, I will, you know, they're not as good a deal as they used to be, <laughs> but like buying used, I think is, is a good idea. It's something good to consider, but making sure that it's like, like I would not do a KSL bike unless you have somebody who knows what they're doing, holding your hand because you will get ripped off and buy a dysfunctional piece of garbage that someone's trying to offload because it's a dysfunctional piece of garbage. So, um, I'm happy to kind of help people a little bit, uh, with that, but like buying new is, is safer in, in a lot of ways, you know, like if you buy a bike from competitive cyclists, something where I used to work, like we had like a 30 day store credit return policy where like, if you buy the bike and it's the wrong size or something, you can swap it out. Or if like you realize that it doesn't work for you, like you, you have more options and there, I think there's less risk. Now, your money's going to go farther with a used bike purchase. But again, you're introducing an element of risk for, for yeah. sure. You know, and if you buy it at a, a local bike shop, if, if you have trouble, they're going to take care of you. Uh, hopefully in yeah. most, in most cases, most. you know, the other thing is like, we've got jibe, like that's a ridiculously good deal on, on a brand new bike from good people who will take care of you. Yeah. So, you know, like I could argue, like, you know, like I think like an Ibis XC is, is, is like probably my dream bike you know, the jibe is probably somewhere in my top five or 10, but like for the price. And that's the only thing you have to consider is like, and I don't know if you're going to ask, like, do you have a question about like, does brand matter? And my answer to that is no, 
especially if it's like your first bike or two. Like when you like Xander and I and Miles will argue for days and days and days about whose suspension system is better, whose carbon's better. For for most people, like getting a bike that is the right kind of bike that fits them well, that is light and efficient and fast, is is like I don't care if it says Giant or Cannondale or Santa Cruz or anything else on the on the down tube. Okay. So um Say someone does have a decent amount of money and they want a bike that's that's really really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the most important thing to spend their money on? Is it like drivetrain or wheels, it's wheels. or yeah, wheels? It's wheels. So that was thank you for the planted question. Um, I would say really, I mean, and like really the frame probably, right? Like I wouldn't put you know three thousand dollar Envy wheels on an aluminum you know on a eight hundred dollar aluminum frame probably. Um, but like, I would say don't buy a bike that has a really fancy, cool Bluetooth drivetrain and $300 aluminum wheels. That is a bike company ripping you off. Those bikes suck and I hate them so bad. <laughs> um, if you have really cool wheels already and you want to buy a cool frame with a drivetrain that happens to come with a spare set of wheels, fine. But like, like I would, I would always say, and like we always think, I, we used to talk a lot about like, well, you've got XX1 and then there's XO1 and then there's GX and then there's NX. I do not care about drive to. The only difference with those, really, like 90% of the difference is weight. There's a little bit of weight. Yep. XTR is lighter than XT. They feel pretty much the same. You know, SLX and, and like, like Dior. Dior shifts great. It works fine. It's just heavy, right? So, like, if you gave me two bikes... You know, and like I was comparing, like if they weighed the same and they have different drivetrains, I don't really care. It's wheels that I care about. Wheels, wheels, wheels I will like push back on. You know, I'll be like, no, the wheels on this bike suck. Get this bike with better wheels, right? The carbon wheels, first off, for reasons that I'm not intelligent enough to gracefully explain, rotational weight is more impactful to your performance than static weight, right? So the weight on your wheels is a big, big, big deal. And the thing with the rotating weight on your wheels is the further out from the center. Yes, the more impactful the weight becomes. Yes. So, so yeah. So like a light rim is more important than a light hub, for instance. Right. A hundred percent. And this is where we're getting into tires in a sec, mm-hmm. which is, which is even more important. Right. But, um, if you're like, if, if you're, if your daughter is a junior Devo rider and she weighs 87 pounds, you probably don't need carbon wheels. For me, I'm 180 ish. If you're over 200 carbon wheels are going to change your life. Like your bike is going to ride so much better with them and not just like, and this is for everyone. This is for downhillers too, right? Like, like get nice wheels that aren't going to break, that you're not going to be constantly working, like throwing new spokes into and truing all the time. You know, um, I will say not all carbon wheels are light. And I think that's a good thing because we've seen this proliferation of carbon rims into kind of mid range bikes. So just know the fact that a bike has carbon wheels does not mean that they're light. And that is important, but you know, like a carbon wheel that is the same weight as an aluminum wheel is still better because it's stiff. You know, stiffer. It's going to transfer power better. It's going to track better on descents and feel better. Um, and for Nike kids, like they're more durable. And a lot of people are not going to like that I say that. But like, if your kid is riding aluminum rims, they're going to dent the heck out of their aluminum rims because they don't know how to ride a bike yet. And they're super eager and enthusiastic. And they're going to try and throw whips off every single rise in the trail and their wheels are going to end up bent and dent and dent like bent and dented up. And that's no good. So like I'm all about carbon wheels, even if they're heavy ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that will actually make your bike faster. Yes. You know what? And like, if you're thinking about buying a new bike, but you already have a good one, buy new wheels. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And and do we want to go into tires now? Yeah, let's go into tires. Rotating weight. Tires are insanely heavy. You can like, like we're talking, you can shave, 
pounds off a bike by switching the tires. And this is the one where you're, I'm going to get the most kind of pushback from like more gravity oriented folks. Um, your tires should err on the fast side. And there are like 50 different companies that make tires. I'm not going to go over every single one. I will tell you really quick. We're Maxxis fans. Uh, we ride Maxxis in this house and we have for like five years because we found that all in all, they're the most durable tire that feels the way it should and that I'm not puncturing all the time. There are other brands that I like, like Schwabe, and I think they're getting better. They feel, I think they feel the best. I had to replace them every like month because we were ripping off knobs and they wear down really fast. Um, Continental's out there, they're kind of the same thing. Specialized tires, I think they're getting a lot better, but like uh, we're just going to speak in terms of Maxxis because that's what we ride. And if you ask me for a tire recommendation, I'd say probably whatever Maxxis tire suits the kind of riding you do best. And again, for the kind of riding that we do, the ones that you should look at, I think primarily for most people are Aspen's is kind of my favorite go-to. I think if your frame can clear it, I really like a 2.4 width Maxxis Aspen, which is basically a fairly wide but low-profile tread tire. Um, if you're like a dad and you're not racing, but you're doing cross-country style riding, maybe like a Recon. That's another tire that's super fast, but you get a little bit more bite. It's going to slow you down a little bit, um, but it's going to feel better in like a dusty corner up in Park City. Um, like... There, are few, I mean, I could I could rattle off a few. Like maybe we'll do a tire episode. Yeah, I'd say if you need a tire recommendation, Maxxis Aspen, <coughs> just like start there. You know, and and like this is where like a lot of kids. If you think like Maxxis's Minion tire is the one you should be riding, like don't you know? Like I was gonna say, don't do Nike. That's not what I mean. Like if you care about Nike, don't ride Minions because that is so overkill for anything that you're doing. I see people all the time sitting down on a descent because they're not like stand like like sitting down on a technical downhill. Uh, looking like they're about to crash with minions. And I'm like, you're not going fast enough. You're not pushing the t tires hard enough that, like, there's any point in you riding a tire that is so unbelievably heavy and slow rolling. You know, like, Andrew rides fairly gnarly tires because he does fairly gnarly stuff, right? But I would say, and again, I'm going to get so much pushback from this from certain corners, but, like, just ride the Maxxis Aspen to start and then kind of move from there. Yeah, because definitely tires is probably the biggest bang for the buck. Like, oh, yeah as far as spending some money on something that's going to make you faster. Yes. Like, you know, and, and the thing is, is like fast tires don't really cost more than, no, they all cost about, they all cost pop, about the same, expensive, you know, so that's where we're at. Um, yeah. The, the, the Aspen 2.4 is my favorite. Mm -hmm. It's older frames. might have a hard time clearing it. 2.25 is fine. And again, we're mostly talking to like, this JV level, you know, like if we're talking to like the varsity level guys and girls who are like really, really serious, there's some nuance certain courses might call for one tire or another, but like if you're fairly new to this and, but like those people don't need it explained. Like if you need tires explained, just do the Maxxis Aspen. If I promise like everyone who texts me looking for tires, we always land on that because it's a great all around cross country tire that has enough bite that if you have to ask what tires to ride, it's going to be enough. Right. You know, and the thing is too, is like replacing them before they get too old helps a lot too. Yep. You know, I, I usually go through, a couple during the season, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, but, two or three. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'd, that's, you know, it's, it's way more complicated than that, but that's <laughs> the essence of what you need to know. Okay. And, and then kind of the last thing I wanted to cover real quick is, um, is just pedals. We talked about, this mm -hmm. is something we talked about during the opening meeting and yeah. we've, we've talked about this a lot, but well, yeah, pedals. I don't know, man. Like, I think once like, 
you know, if, if you need to do your first season on flats, that's fine. Like, I understand. I wouldn't force someone to ride clips on their first ride. I'd be thinking about it on their fifth. I think I'm more aggressive with this than you are, and there's a different right answer for everybody. Like, I, I, I really struggle with the flat pedal argument just in general. I think that m almost any mountain biker, and, like, it, maybe if you're, if you're really old, if you're on the older side and you have balance issues, maybe if your doctor tells you to because you have some extreme knee problems, maybe. But, like, you'll know if you need them, basically. Yeah. You know, if, if you've been riding for more than a season or two and we're, we're still on flats with your kid, like you'll like double their speed overnight and their confidence. They're way safer. And I will, I will, I will die on that hill. Like they're absolutely safer than flat pedals, you know? And, and like, there is an argument for flat pedals for like bunny hop techniques and jump parks yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. But that's not really what we do. We're nope. And, but the one, the one thing I can promise is that if you have the right pedal and shoe combination, yes, it will make you so much faster. Yeah. Like you rarely see, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone podium in varsity with flat pedals and soft shoes. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone podium in any race, like above maybe a sophomore level, I guess maybe in like the entry level JV stuff, but like those kids probably could have jumped up a category and, with clip and shoes. <laughs> but I guarantee there's people out there and could be your dad saying that flat pedals and soft shoes are just as fast because they know this one guy mm -hmm. that's super fast that rides with them. But I guarantee that super fast guy would be faster if... And that's great. Still, I love that you ride bikes and it's great. And like, I, I don't care. Like the most important thing to me is that you ride bikes. If you want to go fast, like there's no consideration here. Like there's no, like with other stuff with tires, it's like, okay, you know what? Maybe in an extreme case, this tire would be better, right? Or like maybe a two by is better for this extreme. Like, like there's just no edge case. There's no end of the bell curve where I'm like, okay, like this is where platform pedals come into play. So like, again, like it maybe if if your if your eight year old is going biking for the first few times, we don't need to force them to do clip ins. And I know they're intimidating. It took me way too long to get into them. Um, I was racing like sophomore in in flats for a second um but like the 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 amount of power that you're going to be able to get the amount of energy that you're going to be able to transfer into moving you forward and then just like how much safer you're going to be where your feet aren't flying off the pedals all the time you don't have this giant like flat mallet that's like crushing your shins every single time you mess up like i would be and you would agree i'd be terrified to go on a mountain bike ride with flat if you're like scared of them be scared of what you're doing now what you're doing now, like you're in a crashing airplane worrying about like going on a roller coaster. Yeah. But not to really just bag on them. The, the thing that makes the, the clip in pedals faster is really the shoe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The stiffness of the shoe and the energy transfer between your foot through the shoe to the pedal. Mm -hmm. um, it's just so much because, because really like if you're going to spend a lot of money on bike stuff to make you faster, the shoes is a yeah. pretty critical part. Like, like carbon bike shoes aren't carbon because they're lighter. They're carbon because it's stiffer, you know, than like a plastic sole or, or like, you know, like whatever rubber sole are on my vans right now. You know, like, can you ride a bike that way? Like, sure. But the amount of energy that you're losing is ridiculous. Like it is, again, like if, if you are interested in getting into this and going fast and getting better, like we got to get you clipping in by season two, yeah. I think. You know, and if, if you are new to clipping in, my advice would be like, go to a grassy field, yeah. ride around the grassy field, 
and make it a goal to clip in and out a hundred times. Yeah. And you know what? And you will crash one time in a parking lot. Everyone has one crash where they get to the car and they fall over and everyone laughs at you a little bit and then life goes on. Like you will never, ever, 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 ever crash on the trail because you're clipped in. It does not happen. And it it's, usually just happens at slow speeds. Yeah. It's like, you, yeah. You forget and, to unclip kind yeah, of thing. So yeah. We don't need to, we don't need to, I mean, you guys so, get it. We're you guys like get very it. clip in pedal. We're very pro clip in. Yeah. By the way, clipless means clip in. And I hate that so bad. But if, if I ever accidentally say clipless, you hear clipless, that means clip in. We won't go into that. But we, I, I think we should try to replace that with clip in. I think that's just a better term. Yeah. So clip in pedals. We'll, we'll start working on that. Yeah. So how far are we on? Uh, 44 minutes. 44. Okay. Yeah. So we got a sec for bike fit here at so. the end. I'll try and be pretty brief, but this is super a super important part of the bike. We're going to kind of kind of shift gears here a little bit and and talk about bike fit. And bike fit's kind of something that I think a lot of people think is really only for like either like elite cyclists or really really wealthy doctors that ride or something that you know that's it's kind of a luxury that only certain people can afford or what. And that really shouldn't be the case. I think that it's just a shame if you have, especially people that spend a lot of money on a bike, if it doesn't fit them right. Oh, I would have people all the time at Competitive who would like get in touch with me to buy a $13,000 Pinarello F10 with special paint from Italy and a ceramic speed cage or whatever, but they balked at spending 300 bucks on a bike fit. And that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, like you really... Well, I don't know. I don't know because it, it is expensive, and I don't think everyone needs to rush and spend three hundred dollars tomorrow for a fit for their, you know, junior. And, Devo and the rider, thing is, but... how do you know that that fits can even be good or not? I mean, I think there's yeah. like a like there's no like like, there, could... like a lot of bike shops will fit you, but oh my gosh, oh my gosh, but like. I've talked to some of these kids that do the fit and they admit they, that they don't even know what they're doing. People would have me do fits at, like or at a performance bike when I was like fresh out of high school. I'm like, I don't know. I can probably get you within an, an, inch, an inch of where, of where you your seat should be. And if you're listening to this, like an inch, like if I moved yeah. your seat down a millimeter, Dan, you'd know. Like, so bike, bike fitting is, I always struggle. Like how, a question for you. How necessary do you think a, a professional bike fit is? Not professional. I don't think professional is necessary because what the point I was kind of getting to is I don't really know what professional bike fits are good versus bad, to be honest, yeah. especially with mountain biking, because like mountain bike geometry is constantly changing and these bikes are changing all the time. And most of the bike fit standards that we have are mostly like if you're on a road bike, you could get a great fit from a lot of different places. You could probably places. fit yourself pretty and, successfully. You know, and most of the standards are based on road bikes. With mountain bikes, it's kind of different. It's just and, tricky. You know, and there there are a few good places to get a bike, a professional bike fit. Um, today, we're going to talk about like things that we could maybe do or your coaches could maybe help you with to at least kind of get you close. To kind of like like eliminate really um, egregious yeah, kind but, of approach. But, you know, there's like... Um, like Max Testa training, I believe does bike fits. IHC um, and the U both do bike fits, and if you play your cards right, you can get insurance. Yeah, to Nate, pay for Nate it Dowling the really, at the U yeah. does does yeah. bike fits. Um, Dave Howard does bike fits. Um, our, our friend Bo Foreman is <laughs> is capable of doing professional he, level bike fits, but we don't. He's probably, in my opinion, with with bike fitting, it kind of is a a two way street really because. 
you've got to make it so the bike works with your body. Right. But you've also got to make it so your body can work with the bike. Right. And a lot of times it's not just the bike's problem. There's something wrong with your body. Exactly. And you can't bike fit away every problem. You know, and, and that's why, like, I, I personally would really only want someone fitting me that had a good anatomical background, you know, like a PT or something yeah. that could, that could help kind of like help work my body issues and my bike could issues. You like understand to... the why behind a bike fit, not just the theory. Yeah. Cause I could kind of tell you some of the theory stuff, but I don't, I don't have a medical background where I could be like, Oh, that's because this moves this way and this muscle does this and this, you know? Yeah. And I've worked with, you know, I've worked with Bo a lot on bike fitting and he's tried to teach us and, and kind of help us help other people. And, you know, but whenever he works with me, he's always, it almost seems like we're spending more time addressing my mobility issues right. than we are issues with my bike itself, you right. know? So it really needs to be kind of approached from both directions. And, um, you know, and there's really no one, I don't think more qualified than Bo. He just doesn't charge money to do it. And we'll, and he's and kind of got like, a, he's such a busy guy. I feel bad it, even telling people Bo's capable yeah. of doing it because like, cause like he's Bo's actually with fits and stuff. And, like, and the thing is too, is he really understands it from a mountain bike perspective and he's developed this really cool system and a, that the, I, I have just kind of seen the best results from, but he's, he's taught us some things yeah. that with kind of the intention that we can help other people. Right. Because we can't yeah. just have everyone. Yeah. You can't team. just have everyone go to Actually, Bo. I'll tell you what, if Bo, if Dr. Foreman decided to leave his post as a professor at the U and open a bike fitting company, he'd make a billion dollars. He could stay pretty busy doing that. Oh yeah. yeah. But anyway, the point is like, and this is going to be just kind of like, Again, fairly basic stuff to like eliminate big issues and kind of get you thinking about. Yeah, and, and hopefully, you know, I'm hoping that when we when we do some of the skills training for our coaches that they're gonna in turn train some of the riders that that they could help a little bit or with they bike fitting. Again, spot big errors. Yeah. Yeah. Um but you know, as I was thinking about bike fitting, the kind of principle that really just sort of kept coming to mind is the same principle that's used a lot in training and nutrition and it's just avoiding extremes. Yeah. You know, cause like, like really like, you know, if, if a doctor told you to take an antibiotic and if you said, Oh, forget that I'm not taking any, that's terrible. You know? And if, if you're like, well, the doctor prescribed this antibiotic and he told me to take two take, a day, I'm going to take, take nine. I'm going to take nine. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I'll that, get, I'll get, you know, yeah. Yeah. Extremes and like politics and nutrition and uh, they're just always never good. You know, they're like always never good. Yeah. There you go. But um, I will say, and like the funny thing is like, like with Nike kids, especially your first like total beginners, like their seats always too low beginners, their seats always too high. Right. Like it's like your first ride, your seats way too low. Your 10th ride, it's way too high. Right. Where you're like, Oh, most people, like if you've never ridden a bike before and you're going to go ride the beach cruiser around the pier, your seat's going to be way too low. And then you realize, oh, when I raise my seat, I'm getting more power. So I'm going to raise it more and I'm going to raise it more and I'm going to raise it more. And pretty soon, they're on their you're, tippy toes. You're Joe Draper circa 2015 with the most hilarious bike fit ever. And you've got like a 30 degree tilt on your saddle so that you can still pedal. Um, I've, over the past few years, have been inching my seat down and down and down to kind of get like, but anyway, so like. Yeah. Like if there's, there's a there's, little bit of something is good, more isn't better. Yeah. There's a balance point for all of these things. And the balance point is pretty, the range is pretty small. Oh yeah. 
You know, like so. I said before, like if I changed your seat height by a millimeter or two, would you notice? Well, you know, um, Andrew, Andrew let s- someone borrow the bike I used to do my indoor training on. Yeah. And they adjusted the, s- the saddle and it took me a while to get it back to where. I, and if it was if it's like a, if it's a couple millimeters off. Oh, my gosh. It, it throws you off. It drives me like crazy. If you wanted if you if your ex is a cyclist and you want to get back at him for cheating on you, go take an Allen key and move the, all of the things on their bike like a quarter of an inch. Yeah. Like that's worse than lighting their car on fire. You know, like if someone like or like like you said, like when you or you have a crash and something gets like knocked out of place and you're trying to find where it was before, like really tiny differences make a huge like a huge impact. On the way that and, and one thing let me throw out there is like a lot of times we get used to things that aren't right yeah and so like you know if you do go get a bike fitter you know if, oh i got a bike fit and it felt awful i was you, I you need that, that was you need so to funny. give it some time because yes. you get used to the wrong thing yes um but yeah so i'm just going to talk about just some some basics just like the most basic bike fit principles we can talk about and hopefully this helps somebody um yeah. But a lot of this we'll need to like demonstrate in our clinics and so yeah, forth. Yeah, you need to and see it in person. Um, but the but the first thing is just you know, like the manufacturer size chart on your bike. Make sure you're at least in like if you're in, you know, if you're six foot five and you're riding a large bike, your bike's never going to fit great. Right. Yeah. You know, and if you're if you're five foot one, and you're on a large frame. It's not- Oh, really quick, you never buy a bike that a kid's going to grow into. That's don't ever do that. Back to your point. Sorry, yeah. I just like there's no. Well, and I was going to get to that. Oh, okay, point sorry. Too, to like, yeah. I'm like, I really want to make sure you hit that. So, so just make sure like when you buy a bike, you're somewhere within the manufacturer recommended range. Every manufacturer is a little different. And like I would say, like I'm, I'm going to make a universal size chart that will get you. It'll tell you which of which two sizes are going to be right for you. Yeah. You know, so it, yeah, you just need to be close. Yeah. You know, you need to look into this. Like if a bike's a really good deal, but it's like the wrong size, it's not a good deal. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it's like, it's irrelevant. You shouldn't so, consider it. So I almost didn't even mention that one cause it seems so obvious, but oh, I, you haven't worked in the bike industry, Dan. You're like, Oh, well, you know, you've got one medium left and it's 30% off and I'm six foot two. And I'm like, well, this, like this, my, this, I don't, yeah. Like don't even, don't ever, ever, ever do that. Okay. You have to buy a bike that fits. All right. So the next one, this is really, this is super important. And I think, um, let's see this rad we've, mm. it's, it's R A A D. And I can't even remember what it stands for. It's like rider area angle dimension or something. Um, and, and this measurements, it differs between types of bikes, you know, like, mm. like a enduro and a cross country bike will have a a different rad. Mm-hmm. Um, this is super, super, super important to understand. And it's super important to get right. And I think, um, probably I would say 80% of the cross country bikes out there don't have the, the correct rad for rider. So, so I'll kind of explain what it is. It's kind of, so how bow measures rad, it's kind of cool. Like picture yourself, you're like, you're standing up and your legs are spread apart as far as they would be as if they were on pedals. Okay. And you're standing up on the floor, right? And then you would hold a dowel in your hands at the width that your handlebars would, that, that your hand grips would be a part on your bike, you know. And then you're you're holding your hands down, so they're they're pointing to the floor. The distance between the center of that dowel to the floor is 
You're rad. So go get a Google image search and you'll see a diagram explaining because it's yeah. impossible to that explain was pro- okay. a visual. But. Yeah, that was really hard to explain. But that measurement should be the exact same measurement from the center of your bottom, bottom bracket to the center of your hand grip. Okay. That measurement's the Again, same. Go look at a visual guide. And we'll, and yeah, so that, and that's not, yeah, that's something that we're, we're going to kind of like our, our coaches that do clinics and stuff, we're going to kind of show them that so they can show you, but that is extremely important. What I just said, because, um, because basically what, what this does is if your rad is correct, you are a bike rider. If your rad is wrong, you are a bike passenger. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're two different things. Um, a lot of, a lot of people that have done our clinics in the past know that like, we'll, we'll kind of put the bikes up on those, those ladders. Oh, everyone's favorite five minutes of every season. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if your rad is too big, you have very little, there's, there's very little movement your bike is going to have pivoting around the bottom bracket that could, where you could remain neutral and stay in the same place. Basically, your body is only able to be in the position it needs to be on a pretty limited set of grades uphill and down. Yeah. Yeah. Which, basic, which means you're going to find yourself in a lot of situations where you are not able to ride your bike correctly. You could have the best form in the world, but the bike doesn't fit so badly that like you're out of control. And unfortunately it's going to be out of control on a steep downhill section. And that's where like, it's dangerous. And that is the number one rule with everything we do. It's such a cliche safety first, but like we don't want kids getting hurt. And this is where like, have you, everyone's been on a ride that they've coached where there's a kid who is on the edge of death for two and a half hours while you're in charge of them. Because every single time there's anything technical, they're almost dying. (laughs) Like, you know, yeah, constantly so, on the edge of a crash. So the main reason I would say that that someone's rad is too big on a bike is because they have too big of a bike to begin with. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's number one. And and if that's the case, you cannot get you cannot get yourself in a safe position to go down a steep hill. Yeah. So the, back to the oh, I'm going to buy little Timmy a bike. He's going to grow into. Is that a good idea? My answer is no, because it's dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so if if this if this measurement between the center of your bottom bracket to the center diagonally to the center of your hand grips is too big for a rider, it basically limits the how steep of a hill you could go down and have your weight be in the correct place. And it also limits how big of a drop you could how big of a boulder you could roll your roll your front tire off and be in a safe place. So it's, it's a super, super important concept. Um, and, and how you would adjust this, assuming you've got like a bike that's the right size, you know, if, if, if an adjustment needs to be made, it's usually by reducing the stack height on your stem or getting a shorter stem or sometimes even bringing your handlebars in a little bit or rotating your handlebars. But there's different ways to adjust it as long as you're somewhat close. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I say really quick, a, this is a common one. This is like I was talking about those big egregious bike fitters. So if you look at a bike right now, like look at I'm looking at a bike across the room, there's a stem, right? The stem grabs onto two different things. One of the things that the stem grabs onto is your handlebar. Look at the other side of the stem. It's grabbing onto what we call your steer tube that's connected to your fork. Underneath where that stem is grabbing onto the steer tube, you might see a whole bunch of little rings that it's sitting on top of. 
And those are there so that you can move your handlebars up or down, right? A lot of beginners find that it's more comfortable to have a ton of spacers underneath their stem so that their stem is stacked up really, really high in the air. That's another thing that you can do that will severely limit your rad. And it'll make it so that your body can't be in a safe position on a really steep downhill. So like a lot of people feel like, oh, cross-country riders, they want their, they want their, and we say, we call it a slammed stem when there's like no spacers underneath your, your stem, right? Like, oh, cross-country riders just like that because they want to be more arrow on the mountain bike and they're stupid or whatever. The reality is that people who ride bikes fast and hard have, and it's not just, slamming isn't always the answer. Again, the answer is putting it in the right position. It's got to be in the right place. If you have a rider show, if you're a coach and you have a rider show up to one of your rides with like three and a half inches of spacers under their stem, like that's just an immediate But that might be because of back trouble or other things too. Sure, but I think, but but you know how, you like you know what I'm talking about, right? But the thing is like, don't just go get a short stem and take, get rid of your spacers. Right. Because like if your, if your rad is too small. Yeah. It's get, you're going to like one, you're going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And two, you're going to be slower. I would say though, but more of the time we're seeing the problem with like kids showing up and they, the shop didn't cut down the steer tube at all. And they've got like 12 spaces under the stem. Like I see that more that's often. More often, but, but both are really bad. Right. Like, both are bad. One is I think but, a more common problem to look at. Yeah. For. Because like if your rad's too small, it, it does slow you down. It makes your bike less comfortable. And in can also lead to overreaching and back problems. And, yeah. and so really don't, don't just start taking out spacers and, and getting a short stem. Right. Let's, let's measure you and, and test you out on the ladders before you just start, you know, assuming that you need to do this to fix a problem. Don't assume exist. it, but just know that there are a lot of writers out there where like they have, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I would say more people are, have too big, big of a rad than too small. Yeah. But again, I just automatically go. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. You don't want it to be wrong either way. Right. Consider so. it as a possibility though. Yeah. So that's, that one was kind of confusing and really hard to visualize. I just want people to know that it's out there and it's important. You'll and have that, a clinic about this and at some point in the season. This is something that like, I'm hoping our coaches can kind of We'll, we'll educate our coaches on it so they can kind of help kids with it at the rides and clinics. Cause yeah, it's, it's a safety thing and, um, and a performance thing. So that's the second thing. The third one's probably the most important maybe is, um, is saddle height. Yeah. That's the most obvious one. Yeah, that's like the it, only aspect of bike fit anyone ever plays with. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's different methods of determining what the act, what the, ideal seat height is a few um, different tricks you've heard of you know there's like measuring from your crotch to the floor and multiplying it by 1.09 or, or you put like the like the like your heel on the yeah, that's, oh sorry that, yeah, you, yeah that's um and, and there's also you know there's the you, you can measure the angle of your knee when it's completely flexed and if it's between like 25 and 35 degrees or something, which is kind of a lot. Like yeah. that, those are two totally different seat heights. Yeah. Know? I was going to say, um, but roughly around 30 degrees or something. Um, but, but saddle height is like, so Bo Foreman, he'll take a whole bunch of measurements and he's really, really precise on them. And, and, and he's got a formula that he uses and nine times out of 10, my method, which is super simple and really dumb, gets really close to his. And how I usually get people close is with your pedal all the way down and you're sitting on your saddle 
in your in your comfortable saddle position where you should be. If if your leg is completely extended, you should be able to contact the surface of the pedal with the heel of your shoe without moving your hip down. Right. And it gets you really, really close, probably within a close enough range that that you're only going to need some really fine tuning. Yeah, like you'll be okay. Yeah. Right. You're not going to have like some awful, awful saddle height. Yeah. That method works for me like almost all the time. Now, if, if your saddle's too low, you're, you're losing a lot of power. That's probably the biggest thing, but you can also get a lot of knee pain Mm -hmm. in the front of your knee if your saddle's too low. And, um, but like, this is where like a lot of kids think that, you know, if some is good, more is better. Cause like, yeah. if your seat's too low, you raise it, you're going to get more power like instantly. And if you raise it a little more, you might instant get instant power, instant right? power, but then raise it a little more. And then you start getting injuries. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So more isn't better. We've got to find the sweet yeah. spot, right? Again, to- like total like, beginners have a seat that's too low. Beginners have a seat that's too high is the way I'd say. And, and like if it's too high, it actually causes a lot of problems. Like, oh, and it takes away from your power too. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and I don't think it really takes away. Well, it, it might. I, I think so. But um, the, the real reason you don't want it too high is one, because you start having to kind of people start rocking their hips to be able to, to reach the pedal a little bit that rocking your hips for like three hours on a ride is going to make your back sore. Yep. Yeah. Like a lot of people that have sore backs probably have a saddle that's too high. Um, if they're, if they're rocking their pelvis. Um, another thing is like you can develop knee pain. And a lot of times if the knee pain comes from more behind the knee, that's an indication that the saddle might be too high. Um, but a big one I've noticed is kids like when they're when their saddle's too high, they have to point their toes, yeah, to complete a pedal stroke, which causes like calf cramps. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the kids are having calf calf cramps. I'll lower their saddle a little bit and they go away. So, um, but again, there's like I would say the range that you're trying to hit is is less than a centimeter. I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's it's not a very big range that would would be um, that you could really operate comfortably in with with saddle height. So, so uh, next one is the fore and aft of the saddle, like how far forward or how far backward your saddle sits on rails and it can slide. You can slide it forward or you can slide it. And I guarantee most people's is set where it came from the bike shop. Yep, they never touch it ever. And the uh, odds of that being the correct position are pretty darn low. <laughs> yeah. And, and another thing too, is like the thing with like changing these things is if you change the fore and after of your bike saddle, you're probably going to have to adjust the saddle height. Yeah. None of these things happen in isolation. Yeah. So bear that and, mind. and kind of the, you know, the starting point for this is if your pedal is in the three o'clock position, the front of your knee should you should be able to draw a straight line between the front of your knee and the center of your pedal pedal spindle is kind of the starting point. Um, but if it's too far forward, you're going to be way too quad dominant. You know, your, your posterior chain is going to become inactive when you're riding your bike. Um, but one, one way you can know if it's too far forward is if, if you're feeling a lot of pressure on your hands when you're climbing. Um, if it's too far back, you're going to have, you're going to lose a lot of power. You're going to have some dead spots in your pedal stroke. And 
you're going to have, and, and because you're kind of overusing your posterior chain, if it's too far back, you could develop some, some glute, some sore glutes and hip pain and, and tight hamstrings and so forth. So, but, um, and, and also too, if it's too far back, you can, you're reaching for further forward so you can develop some back pain and so forth. But, um, if it's far enough back that your hands feel light, that feels somewhat light, but not too far back that your knees back behind the pedal, you're probably in a pretty good range. Um, this one's a little trickier. Again, like look, look at a visual aid. I'm sure GCN has a video where they can get, you can kind of maybe visualize this a little bit. Yeah. Um, really quick. This is something that's hard to change if it's wrong, but if you're shopping for a bike, this is the next one would be crank length. Yeah. Um, and, and I would just say for the most part, if you're buying a small bike, it should have shorter cranks. Yeah. If you're buying a large bike, it can have the larger cranks. And the numbers to look for are the, the two that you'll see are 170 and 175. Um, Dan and I weren't really sure how to approach this because we've kind of, I think the bike industry is moving towards like the majority of people riding shorter cranks than they used to. And that's, we could do a whole episode on why. I think if you are like parting out a new bike and you're going to go and buy all the components, I think unless you're over 6'3", 6'4", most bike fitters are probably going to tell you that a 170 is good. On the roadside, there's like five different stand, like different, you could go all the way from 180 to 150 I've seen. But on the mountain bike, you're only really going to see two. Ideally, like most of us should be on 170s. If your cranks break, I'd probably tell most people to buy 170s. But like the tricky bit is like, a lot of bikes out there, especially if they're used and they're three or four years old, you see 170 mil cranks on size small bikes all the time. And it's not ideal, but like we did want to address this and throw it out there. But like the honest answer is this is one where like there's not much you can do about it. Buy a new cranks, but like that's expensive and most people don't want to do that. So like I would maybe say like if you're like, oh, hey, I've got little Susie who's barely breaking five foot. And we're going to buy her an extra smaller small bike. And this one's a really good deal that has 175s. I'd be like, you know what? maybe spend another 200 bucks and get 170 mil cranks. So that's our take on it. But yeah, smaller cranks are in vogue with all the bike fitters right now, or shorter cranks, I should say. Um, just essentially because they allow you to spin better. I think they make your, like, your pedal stroke is going to be more consistent, would be like the easiest way to explain the why without going ridiculously far into the weeds. But that is like a number that you'll see that I do think is worth like considering. Yeah, so I know this this really kind of made a lousy podcast because like it would have made a better YouTube video or something. Yeah. But but you'll uh, you'll have this in person. This is where yeah. we have clinics. For I, this. I just wanted people to kind of start thinking about these things because yeah, yeah. If you have the best bike in the world, if it doesn't fit, it's not the best bike in the world. You yeah. know, and um, and I think th- these are things that are really important to be aware of. And you know, and and um, if you have any questions about it reach out. I always joke. I know just enough to be dangerous about bike fitting. Yeah. But I do think, you know, like I, in fact, I went in this like last year around point to point, I started having knee trouble. Like I, I had a little bit leading into point to point. It wasn't too bad, but during point to point, like I couldn't even pedal my bike. I remember and that. I took like unhealthy amounts of Advil <laughs> to get through the, to get through the race. And it was terrible. And then it, I wasn't really going away. I went to bow and and he went through and checked my bike fit and, and everything was just like spot on. You know, he, th- he, he, every, everything, like all the measurements looked, looked good and everything. And then he like, he, he measured my sit bones and looked at my saddle 
and he's like, Dan, your saddle's toast. Yeah. You know, um, you need a new saddle. Sorry, bud. And then he looked at my shoes. He's like, uh, your shoes are toast too. Like they're not offering you any support anymore because you've walked in them too much. And, you know, so I bought a new saddle and new shoes and the knee pain just went away. Boom. Didn't do anything else. Like, yeah. and before then I was doing all this stretching and, mm-hmm. and doing all this stuff to get the knee pain to go away. And I bought a new set. I don't know if it was the shoes or the saddle or maybe yeah, both. It's but, probably both. Um, Good time to point out parents. Don't let your kid wear their bike shoes around all day at a Nike race and go hike around in them. And like, you know, they're, yeah, I just had to throw that out there. Yeah, I'm guilty that, of yeah. that. So yeah, don't do that. Take them off, bring other shoes. Yeah, but so but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Like a lot of different things play into it. It's not just like your bike needs to be fit correctly, your body needs to be flexible, and your equipment needs to work. Like, yeah. and all three of those are really, really complicated. And like, all I think, I think all you have to do, I would admonish you to just start thinking about it, pay attention to it. You know, like make little educated tweaks here and there, and say like, oh, I think this might be a problem, so I'm going to try this well, and yeah. then see. You know, but we're hoping that we'll be able to give you some guidance on this, yeah. so you're not just rant like no, randomly. No, no. And I should say I'm not like sorry, yeah, you're not just that. like sliding like, you your seat what? back for no reason. Right, right, right. Care about this. Yeah, think about it. Yeah, and then like I said, make educated tweaks once you've had the opportunity to have an in-person clinic on this, which will come. Yeah. So. There we go. Anything else? Um, I do want to say a couple things. If you have questions about this, I think I'm the best way to get, like, just go into Instagram and look me up and just send me a DM. My DM should be open. If you have, like, like literally any questions, I will answer them. And if you DM me, I should see it. Um, uh, I will also be offering, I think in the next two or three weeks, like an in-person, like, I want to, I want to, like, help some people shop for bikes and share my screen and have other people watch. I think that would be really, really valuable. So if you are thinking about buying a bike for yourself or your kid this season, um, like I said, I'm thinking in the next couple weeks, I want to do that. So I'll get something on the calendar there, just kind of walking you through again. Once you can see this in person, I think that'll help a lot. Look out for clinics and stuff. And, uh, if, if there's any specific element of this, you want Dan and I to dive into more, let us know. So, and we'll talk about, we'll, we'll talk about this stuff again in the future. Oh yeah. Well, you'll, you'll hear more on this, but yeah. yeah. Uh, appreciate you guys sitting through kind of a hairy episode there. We're going to stop just shy of an hour and 15. So Ooh, a little ouch. on the long side, but Um, Yeah, look for that, and we will talk to you guys next week.